This audio is presented to you by Abdul Fattah Adayami. For more lectures and counseling services, visit www.abdulfattahadayami.com. Listen, learn, and laugh as you edit your universe. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The demand of Islamic universality views that each living being is a leader on their own. You are either a leader for yourself, or you are a leader for your family, or you are a leader for your group. So, as far as Islam is concerned, leadership is something absolute in every family. There cannot be the husband without the wife, and so long as we have the husband, we have the wife, we have other members of the family, then there must be a leader of that family. And that leader, of course, is um, is the man, like we know. And the idea of leadership covers the whole aspect of fulfillment of the needs. You will not be a leader if you don't uh, fulfill certain conditions and uh, prerequisites. Of course, the first one, if the husband is the leader, he is supposed to be the husband, and he has to assume the status of uh, leadership as a husband based on some of the things he's supposed to do. For example, Allah says, "Al-rijal kuwamun ala nisa bima fadlala ubadum ala badin wabima anfaku min amwalihim." The man is the leader or the maintainer of woman bima fadlala ubadum ala badin because of the the favors of status that Allah has given to one party over the other, and wabima anfaku min amwalihim, and because of what they spend of their wealth. In other words. There are preconditions for you to be the leader as the husband in the family. So the idea of uh, that requires you uh, to fulfill some needs, requires you to pay some attention or to take care of your family or to defend your family and to guide your family. So the aspect of family needs fulfillment cannot be separated from the other aspects of intention as a part directly related to the religious aspect of life. In other words, you are not a husband and you are not a leader by accident. It has to be by a kind of intention. And this intention is similar to, let's say there's Akudu Nikah, that is, there's going to be Islamic solemnization of that family for you to be recognized as Islamic leader of that family. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is there are certain conditions that need to be fulfilled if the husband is to assume the role of leadership in the family. And that is he has to go through the process of becoming the husband, not just by, you know, abducting a woman and keep her in the house. You have to, like, become the husband. There are laid down rules and regulations and guidelines that a man is supposed to fulfill in order to become this husband that we, uh, that we are talking about. In addition to that, the religiousness of someone, let's say the one we refer to as the Muslim husband now, it has to be religious, it has to be a Muslim, it has to be recognized by the Sharia. So the religiousness of someone being a husband or being a leader will have to cover the various dimensions that we are going to mention now. Number one, the faith, the faith dimension or something that we refer to as an ideological dimension. Ideology refers to a set of beliefs, a set of values, 
a set of ideas or principles that form the basis of a political system or a social system or economic system or cultural system or family system. So these are the values and the principles that form the basis for your family life. Ideology encompasses a comprehensive worldview of, or framework through which individuals or groups or societies can interpret and understand the world around them. And it is also what guides their actions and behaviors. So your ideology guides your behaviors, your ideology guides your actions, your ideology determines the principles that you adopt, it determines the value systems that you adopt in leading your life as an individual or as a family man. Examples of ideology could be liberalism or conservatism or socialism, communism, sometimes can be capitalism, fascism, feminism, environmentalism, nationalism, and we also have this other one, religious fundamentalism, and so many other ones. Now, it may interest you that in some families or in some leadership and followership setting, you see that their ideologies do not match. And when there are differences in ideologies, there is bound to be that problem of incompatibility in ideological viewpoint in life. Take, for instance, somebody has taken to capitalism. Everything about their life, everything about their thoughts and their value system is about what to capitalize over. It's about profit and, uh, you know, demand and supply, profit and profiteering, and so on and so forth. Just like the world goes, it's like capitalizing on each other. Then somebody has capitalism or somebody has, uh, let's say, Islamic uh, viewpoint and he has married a leader, I mean, a lady that is into feminism. Everything about her life or her thoughts or her opinion about life is about how the, the rights of women must be defended, even when obviously there's absolutely nothing that needs to be done because Islam has already got their back. Islam has already got the back of women. There's no need to defend anything again. Allah has already given the right to the women to be whatever they want to be within the precinct of what Sharia uh, approves and accepts. So in other words, I want us to bear that in mind, the faith of everyone, the faith dimension or your ideological dimension is of great importance for us to consider when you make yourself or you call yourself a Muslim, a religious person with Islamic viewpoint. Then devotion is another thing that's expected. Devotion is not the same thing as ritualism. Because ritualism is a sociological concept that refers to a behavior or attitude that is characterized by rigid adherence to certain rules or norms or rituals. And sometimes these are adhered to without regard for the underlying meaning or purpose. Let's take for instance now, in the context of work and career aspirations that people do, a person that is exhibiting ritualism may diligently follow the rules and routines of their jobs. They faithfully adhere to work schedules, they, you know, they follow the procedures, they follow the protocols, they follow everything to the letters, despite having little hope or expectation of advancing in their career, or without having, uh, you know, without being able to achieve anything significant. No significant success, yet they adhere to these rules and regulations. That is ritualism. Ritually, you go to work, 
maybe it is nine to five ritually you go to job to your job and then you follow certain routines to the extent you fall into certain ruts so you find yourself making so much so much activities without any progress too much activities without a progress that is ritualism so you just do it and sometimes some people may continue to engage in the rituals of work out of sense of duty, it is just because they said I should do so. Sometimes it has even become a habit for some people. Some people are only just conforming to societal expectations or their, you know, to, to the expectations of their places of work. Even if they feel disillusioned, even if they feel disconnected from the underlining goals of career advancement or of personal fulfillment, they are not growing, they are not making progress, yet they they hold on strictly to the rituals. The same way, Islam is not a ritualistic uh, religion in the extent that it leads to something negative. It is something that's supposed to bring success. So rather than call it ritualism, we call it devotion. Yes, you devote your time, you devote your energy, you dedicate yourself you know, that is your profound commitment, your profound dedication or your loyalty to a cause or to a belief or to a practice or to some ideals. So devotion that we want people to take note of as Muslims is that it evolve, involves strong feelings of attachment, strong feelings of affection and reverence and respect and admiration towards the object of devotion. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are devoted to Allah as a Muslim. And then sometimes this is even accompanied by willingness to sacrifice or prioritize your time, your energy and your resources in the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, number two thing we want people to bear in mind when they are Muslims in leadership or in marriage is that devotion. They must be devoted. That is itikaf. For example, the one we do during Ramadan. Remember that during the last 10 days of Ramadan, we go to the masjid and we do what we call itikaf. That itikaf is devotion, where you are not distracted and you are, you know, you, you prioritize your time for the worship and service of Almighty Allah. So in marriage, as we are trying to contextualize it, when a man or a woman is devoted to the marriage, it is not the same thing as looking at marriage as a ritualistic, um, uh, as a ritualistic institution. It's not just the rot, it's not just the... Um, you know, not the rules. You know, they say I should do this, they say I should not do that one. I must do this for my wife. I must not do this to my husband. It's not just the rules. It goes beyond the rules if you are going to understand the leadership in marriage very well. It goes beyond the norms. It goes beyond the rituals. It goes beyond the shores. You are not doing marriage as a matter of routine the way you do that for jobs, but you are doing it as a matter of devotion. You are devoted to each other and devotion is akin to commitment. You are dedicated to one another. You have loyalty to each other as husband and wife. And of course, your devotion and loyalty are all returning back to Almighty Allah. I do hope we are able to track that very well. To the extent that you prioritize your time, your energy and your resources in the service of your family. To be a leader or the lead in a family, devotion is very important. Especially if we say you are a Muslim family. That, that makes two now. 
I've mentioned the faith itself, ideology, you, you know, the ideology, the idea and the set of beliefs you have, the iman you have as a Muslim, number one. Number two, your ability to devote yourself to the service of Almighty Allah, not ritualistically, but as a matter of commitment. And that's why we emphasize devotion over and over again. In marriage and leadership in marriage, it requires devotion. The third one is experiential comprehension. Let me break it down. Experiential comprehension, that's from the word experience, and then comprehension from the word, meaning that you understand true experience. This refers to the process of understanding or grasping something through direct personal experience rather than through abstract reasoning or theoretical knowledge alone. And so this involves learning, it involves insight, it involves understanding that arises from actively engaging with or directly encountering a phenomenon or an event or a situation or a concept. An individual will gain knowledge or understanding by immersing himself in real life experiences. That is, when you are actively participating in activities or you are directly observing and interacting with the subject matter at hand. So this hands-on approach allows individuals to engage their senses, their emotions, and cognitive faculties in a holistic manner. And this will facilitate a deeper and more profound understanding of the subject matter. Do you track what I'm saying now? What I mean is, for example, learning to ride a bicycle. A child will learn to ride a bicycle by actively practicing and balancing and maneuvering the bike and gradually gaining a sense of control and proficiency through direct experience. So when I say experiential comprehension, as a Muslim, you are to experience Islam. That's what I mean. You are to experience it by, you understand Islam by experiencing Islam. You understand leadership by experiencing leadership. Another example is learning to drive. You can't just read a manual and be and just start driving. You have to drive, you have to experience it, you have to you know, know what the steering feels, you have to know how to change the gears, you have to know how to press the pedals, you have to know how to press the accelerators, how to match the brakes, you know, you have to experience the feel of all of these things. And um, training to be a pilot, you, you can't just read a manual and begin to fly a Boeing 747. Uh, first, you start the ignition. No, first, you wear the uniform of, uh, of a pilot, you know. Then, uh, no, those kind of things. They don't just work like that. You can't just be so brilliant, so intelligent, and you read a manual, and then you just suddenly start flying the helicopter. It's only in movies you can see that. In real life, you don't just do it. You have to learn it. You have to be trained to do it. Then, being a surgeon also, you can't just uh, wake up one day and you say, yes, I, I want to be a surgeon. You have to go through the training. You have to go through all of the rigors of um, experiential uh you know experiential comprehension of what it is to be a surgeon and that is how or that's why the butcher uh barbara few the butcher cannot just enter into surgery ward and say he wants to join them in performing surgery on somebody you know being a butcher in an abattoir is not the same experience as being uh, as being in the surgical ward uh, you know the theater to 
assist the doctors in performing surgery on people. You can't just do brain surgery on others because your father was a butcher. So this is what we mean. Learning to cook is another one. You can't just learn to cook and then you just cook without practicing it. That's the experiential comprehension. You have to experience in order for you to understand how to cook certain things and how to make it to be very nice. And very importantly, learning to be married, learning to be married and to raise a family. It is not something you just read manuals to be able to do. You don't just read books and become a husband. You don't just read book and become a wife. You have to experience it. That is why many people have so much theories in their head. Eh? Ah, Some people have read so many books. People will read 50 books before they go into marriage. But by the time they get married, it's another thing entirely from what they were thinking. By the time they begin to experience the marriage itself, they begin to understand it in a much different way. You see a professor of psychology get married and it will still backfire. It, it can still fail. Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar. A professor of uh, philosophy, a professor of psychology, a professor of counseling can get it wrong when it comes to marriage. So everybody's experience is not the same. So experiential comprehension is also what goes into learning to practice Islam, learning to make salat. You can't just read book about salat. If you have not made salat, you can't understand khushu. You can't understand what it takes to struggle to concentrate on salat. You can't understand what it takes to struggle to make your ruku, to make your sujood, to make your tazgiyah and other things like that. You can't understand them deeply enough until when you begin to make salat by yourself. And in fact, you cannot understand fasting until you fast. You can read books about fasting, spiritual advantages of fasting. Uh, we can do lecture from now to tomorrow. We'll start talking about, okay, the advantages of fasting. This is how to fast. This is how. Just fast first, fast, and let's see what you can do. By the time you begin to fast, it, it, it used to, uh, you know, amuse me during Ramadan when some people will say, a doctor says this is how to fast. Uh, these are the things you experience in fasting. Uh, fasting is such a beautiful experience. You get to, you know, like uh, shed off weight. Uh, your body will, you know, rejuvenate its metabolism. All of those grammar we speak. Or more, when you start fasting, eh, you know that <laughs> it's not a child's play. So you have to experience fasting for you to really comprehend the import of fasting in our lives, spiritually, in, in fact, even physiologically or physically. Learning to make Hajj also, you need that experience. If you have not gone on Hajj before, they will only tell you what it is, but you have to experience it. The awe that you uh, you, you get in, in, in Hajj, the fear of Allah, you know, the, you know, the activities with your body, with your mind, with your soul, your ability to be patient, your ability to endure, your ability to go through the inconveniences. These are all part of and part of experiential comprehension. So I am saying now that in Islam and Islamic leadership, as a man or as a woman, you need that experiential comprehension to be able to do well in it. No amount of theory can make you a good leader if you have not become one. If you have not had to contend with people, difficult people that are difficult to teach, difficult to lead, difficult to understand. People don't even understand themselves, talk less of understanding you, how to pass messages across to them, how to endure 
when they don't follow you, how to be humble when they follow you. All of these things are very important. And, and that's why some people will boast to be nice persons. The day they become very rich like this, then you see all their niceness will just disappear. A person may boast to be very humble, but the day you put him in position of power, then you see that he begin to mess up. Some people will boast to be nice husband, to be good sisters, very good wives. By the time they get married, then you just be shocked that they said they were good sisters, but see how they are behaving. Allah Akbar. So you cannot be said to be a leader or understand the ethics of leadership yet. You cannot be said to perform excellently in your marriage yet until when you get married and you have what we just refer to as experiential comprehension of marriage. Now, let's quickly move ahead now. Number, um, I've mentioned the three. Yes, there's a fourth one. Number four, consequential considerations. What does it mean? It refers to the process of evaluating the potential outcomes or the consequences of a decision you make or an action you take or a situation you face. So overall, consequential considerations involve analyzing the potential impacts and outcomes of decisions or actions that you take in order to make informed choices that align with the desired goals or the desired values and priorities and while at the same time minimizing negative consequences. In Islamic beliefs, there are consequences for every action and inaction. And this is why knowledge is very important. As a Muslim in a religious family setting, Islamic family setting, you must understand the consequences of everything that you do, consequences of everything that you say in the sight of Allah and in the sight of your partner. You don't just talk without editing yourself. You don't just behave without thinking of what will come out of it. You have to understand that Allah is going to question you about everything you do. And so you understand very well that there are consequences that you need to consider in your actions and in your inactions. Then the fifth one is, of course, the knowledge dimension of uh, religiosity. And this knowledge refers to a comprehensive and thorough understanding of a subject, of a topic, or field of study, or domain that goes beyond surface level or superficial understanding. In other words, knowledge dimension in marriage or marital leadership or excellent performance in marriage involves acquiring in-depth insight. It involves expertise, if possible, and some form of proficiency in this area of knowledge of Islam and of marriage itself. Through extensive study, you can't just become a husband without knowledge. Extensive exploration, you can become a good wife, as far as Islam is concerned, without exploring avenues, without exploring knowledge, without exploring solutions of Allah and His Rasul, and the experiences passed down by the scholars with regards to matters of marriage or marital excellence. You have to experience knowledge. That's another thing I'm trying to say. You have to have knowledge as your experience or as a basis for your experience. You don't marry and you don't do things in ignorance as far as Islam is concerned. So let us retract now. We've mentioned devotion as against ritualism. We've mentioned the faith dimension, that's the ideological thing in, in, the, uh, in, in our faith. 
uh, we've mentioned experiential comprehension and then consequential considerations and lastly the knowledge dimensions all of these are very very important when it comes to religiousness now you understand now we are talking about islamic leadership and we are substituting ethical with islamic because as far as our own ethics are concerned as muslims this is what we believe and that is why i mentioned the religiousness the islamicness of uh, your uh, leadership for excellent performance in your marriage at the home front we are hanging them on those five things you have to be you know you have to understand these things very well so that you know your limitations and you know how to move ahead in your marital endeavor and adventure assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh this audio is presented to you by Abdul Fattah Adeyemi. For more lectures and counseling services, visit www.abdulfattahadeyemi.com. Listen, learn, and laugh as you edit your universe.